Hey, what's going on? Jason Bay here. You're listening to Blissful Prospecting, and this is a podcast for reps and sales teams who love landing big meetings with their prospects, but may have had a little bit of trouble when it comes to doing this outbound thing, right? Making cold calls, sending cold emails, and maybe it's feeling a lot like you're spinning your wheels and you're putting a ton of effort into it for very low return. If that's the case, you're definitely in the right place. Today's episode, I'm doing something a little bit different. This is a guest. It wasn't a guest podcast. I guess it was a LinkedIn Live that I did. And I did it with Jen Walsh, who interviewed me to talk about specifically insurance brokers and three proven strategies to grow your pipeline. Let's get to the episode today. So this is a really fun conversation. I wanted to put the audio version of this here on the podcast, because I think it's gonna be really helpful. Regardless of if you sell insurance or not, we're talking through that lens specifically for brokers. So it's gonna be really helpful for you if you sell insurance or sell to uh, people insurance. But regardless of if you do that, you're definitely gonna find it helpful because we're gonna talk about a couple really key things here. One is how you educate prospects and how you can you get them to take a meeting based on something you could educate them about versus asking for a meeting so you could pitch your stuff. So the what's in it for me question that you need to answer for the prospect, we talk about that. We talk about sequencing, and then ultimately we talk about how to uh, pack together a really good message so that you can get better results from your outbound efforts. So your emails, your phone calls, the people that are not coming to you organically. Before we get to the episode today, a couple quick things. One, if you're listening to this podcast, you've obviously found at least one of the many ways that we provide free content like this. Two, go to our website, blissfulprospecting.com slash resources if you want even more free stuff. There's podcasts, we have guides there, we have app recommendations, we have book summaries, all kinds of fun stuff. Thirdly though, if you're looking for some extra help so you don't have to comb through all the free resources and you wanna really step up your prospecting game and, and work with me directly, you can do that through our boot camps. So we're working with all kinds of folks, but Nicole is one of the folks that we've worked with that sells insurance if you're looking for that sort of thing. And one thing she was really looking for was, hey, I'm doing this prospecting thing virtually now and I'm used to being able to meet in person and either do a, an in-person visit or go to a networking event. How do I do this thing virtually? And she was really looking for a structure on how to go about that and have really confident phone calls with people, send emails to get responses and meetings and that sort of stuff from a virtual environment, so from her desk and for her, uh, her phone, excuse me. So if that's something you're looking forward to, check out blissfulprospecting.com, go to programs in the bootcamp section, and we have a program built exactly for you. It's some of the best stuff that you're gonna find out there in outbound prospecting, or send me an email directly, blissfulprospecting, or Jason, excuse me, at blissfulprospecting.com, and let me know how I can help. Put bootcamp in the subject line so I know what you're asking for and get you the information. And without further ado, Let's get to the episode. Hey there, Jason. Welcome to this conversation today. I'm excited to be here. We've been talking about this and uh, we've been scheming. Scheming. For, uh, scheming. For a few weeks. I'm excited. That's right. That's right. And usually what happens is it takes LinkedIn a few minutes to catch up with us. So for those of you who are just connecting and have carved out a few minutes to uh, visit with us and talk about prospecting and building your pipeline, we'd love it if you drop some comments, 
along. Let us know if you are watching live. Of course, if you're watching the replay, you can do a little hashtag replay so we know when you popped in to check out this content. But very excited to have you here uh, today, Jason. I've been laughing with some different folks. And when I reached out to you, Jason, I said, don't consider this, you know, creepy, but you are one of my quarantine friends. As I've sat here trapped in my dining room, which those in my network have gotten to know my wallpaper uh, very well. And I'm a connector in our business and my friends, I've always been off traveling. And that's when I've learned the most is through peers and networking. And so when I was trapped and locked down and challenged to help my clients get creative, one of the things I thought I better do is get up and out of my network. And even if I couldn't move physically, start watching for different talented people that I thought I would benefit from learning and watching over time. And then as I started to assess content and kind of match, figure out who should I introduce to my network. So I kind of had some fun, kind of 10 or 12, what I'm saying, like my quarantine friends. And Jason or Bay is one of those individuals who I have gotten to know over LinkedIn and then reached out and said, you know, don't be alarmed. I'm not a stalker, but I think my friends in the insurance business need to get to know you. And so for those of you who are just joining us now, we are excited to have you here. And um, Jason, maybe you could introduce yourself as we get going today. Yeah. Again, I'm super excited to be here. And the way that I would describe what we do is a lot of sales teams, reps, you know, people like that, they love landing that big meeting with a prospect, right? But oftentimes what I hear that they hate is sending hundreds of cold emails that get very little responses or cold calling. How am I supposed to you know, in a virtual environment, call people when I can't meet in person with like, that doesn't really feel good to me. It feels kind of yucky. I don't like being cold called. Um, we help reps and sales teams with those two exact things. So how do we find the right people to reach out to that could raise their hand for us so that we could talk to them? What right. messaging do we put in front of them? I say email, phone, combination of the two and in what order and then ultimately how do we objection handle in a way that doesn't feel super grimy and salesy so that we can get people to see that there's some value in in meeting with us so we work with insurance companies companies that sell professional yeah. services you know, software companies and sort of everywhere in between but that's the thing that they have in common that's super so you know my focus every day is working with client service teams and sales teams how they create contrast once they are into the sales process? And then how do they lead those clients with confidence once they have the engagement? And as I started getting those requests and questions, well, Jen, in this new environment, is it email? Is it LinkedIn? Is it phone calls? You know, my simple answer was, well, yes, it's probably some combination of all of those things. Yeah. Is, you know, I really got my tippy toes to the end of my personal expertise because in our business, for a lot of good reasons with networking and centers of influence and historical ways of initiating, right? That first phase of the sales cycle to open a dialogue. Yeah. Most of those historical things were taken away from us. And most of the people in my network and very good firms from across the country just haven't had the need to build these skills about real cold opens, whether they were email and calls. 
And so that's why I thought this was a great way to kind of start that conversation. Yeah. It's kind of an interesting shift when you think about it, because, you know, like cold calling, for example, is there really that big of a difference between calling someone that's not expecting your call versus approaching someone in public that's not expecting you to approach them and talk to them? There isn't really too much of a difference outside of the fact that you might be able to smile and they could see you and all that other stuff, but people can hear that as well. And I think that we make it much more complex than it actually is. The process is a very simple one. It doesn't mean that it's easy. I look at those two things as completely separate, but the process is a very simple one. We look at it in a three-part framework. There's identify. Mm -hmm. That's your ability to identify a good fit prospect. So that's right company, right person to chat with. And then we start thinking a little bit about like their values. You know, what do these people value when it comes to a relationship with their broker? What do they value in terms of their business and how can we help them with that? And then the middle bucket is this engage. So that's our ability to start a conversation with someone. Mm-hmm. So that's our messaging, our sequencing, et cetera. And there's this convert piece with, hey, once someone responds to an email, picks up the phone when we call them, like how do we secure a meeting? This might bring us into like the first point here, this teach, don't take. There's three kind of shifts and we'll talk about one of them today. But with the identify, engage, convert, the first shift that you need to make on this convert side to get people to want to take a meeting with you is we need to go from this always be closing mindset, which have you seen Glengarry Glenn Ross, that classic scene with Alec Baldwin? Yeah. And he's like, always be closing. And, And I don't know about you, when I am being sold to and I feel like the person is constantly closing me, I don't like it. (laughs) It's actually quite repelling. So we need to move from this always be closing mindset to teach, don't take. Teach, don't take. And one of the initial things I saw was a lot of people who it was like outbound, but it was things like, hey, heads up, please join our webinar next week, which somebody's like, I don't know you yet. (laughs) Why would I give you 45 minutes of my time? without, I think that teach element is what I'm hearing you say. Yeah. And I actually applaud that person for making an effort to like share something valuable (laughs) with the person, because I'm sure you've seen the worst thing you can do is just ask for a sales call. Yeah. For 15 minutes or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to pick your brain for 15 minutes about your business or, Hey, I'd love to spend a half hour with you talking about how awesome we are is essentially what we're saying. And when you work in a you know, insurance is a very commoditized industry, right? I mean, I know that as an insurance agency, you're probably thinking like, oh yeah, we're different because we do all these things. But to your prospects, they kind of look at you very similar to other insurance brokers, especially. Wait, what's the difference between brokers? It's kind of how they think. And it's no knock on what these people do. And I know that you think about differentiation and all that stuff if you're watching or listening to this, but it's really important to look at it from the prospect's point of view. So the difference between you and another broker or the competition or whatever it might be is your ability to give them something useful in that first meeting. So instead of like using that first meeting as an opportunity to qualify them and to talk about next steps and talk about your programs and get everyone involved, there needs to be, you need to meet the person halfway and say, Hey, if you meet with me, I'll be able to share X, Y, Z with you. Those X, Y, Z's could be a lot of different things. But if we're reaching out to CFOs, I need to think about What do CFOs need to know from other CFOs that we work with right now? And that's where I'd start is, what are our clients doing really well so that I can meet and say, hey, Jen, 
I'd love to share with you the eight trends that we're seeing CFOs at XYZ Industry um, do right now to cut costs or to remain profitable as they start to move back into offices. Whatever that theme is, there needs to be something there that's somewhat related to your value prop that's not completely out in left field, but that's going to be valuable for the people that you're meeting with. And that's where your point about research, so it doesn't have to be a huge lift or something really long or a big call script, but you need to have a pretty educated guess around who is this I'm reaching out to so that when I share, it's obviously pretty close to that zip code as narrow as we can get based on our understanding of that. No, absolutely. And uh, Jen, if we could use an example here, what's a typical maybe job title that someone might be prospecting to in insurance in your life? It might be to the um, vice president of human resources would be a typical one. Yeah. So let's say VP of HR. So a good place that you guys can get started with this teach don't take is I think of priorities and then uh, problems. Mm -hmm. So a VP of HR, if you had to kind of speculate across multiple VPs of HR, what is their top one or two priorities that at any given point, any day, week, month, quarter, they're like, I'm focused on these two things. What are those things? Recruiting the right talent to meet their organization's objectives. So building out a new division or a new location, hitting sales goals, what have you. And then of course, retaining those employees once I get them. Yeah. So if we look at it like that, recruiting and retaining, you know, you have priorities and then we think about what are the problems and let's pick one of those. Let's look at the recruiting employees. What is maybe a big problem that a lot of VPs of HR experience when it comes to recruiting? Well, a current one today could be this kind of dislocation and, and talent being across the country in different geographies that they're not familiar with. And as it relates to benefits, which historically they knew what was available in their region, a problem they have is what am I offering to whom? And where will those employees be? You know, because I may not have their permanent zip code or it's in a new location. Yeah, so that's a really great example. And Nicole Ramirez is on the call, by the way. Oh, great. Oh, good, good. What's up, Nicole? So a really good example of, so we have the priority is recruiting people. One of the big problems is how do I think about this in a uh, remote environment? How do I make like our company attractive in this like type of remote environment? So that could be a resource right there. So you could talk to some of your clients, some of your VPs of HR, and really just kind of like see if you can source some best practices. So one thing that's really helpful is if you get three or four of your clients on a Zoom or Teams call, and help them facilitate a best practices discussion between each other, record it. You don't need to make it public. Ask if you can record it and write down some of the main points that they talk about. Oh, that's a great idea. So it's like, hey, Jen, um, I was talking to four other VPs of HR that we work with the other day. And one thing they were sharing with me is, you know, three or four big things that they're doing to help with retention in a remote environment, especially when they're recruiting folks. I'd love to share this with you and do a quick briefing on this and talk about what your plans are for XYZ. Right. Like that type of approach is like I'm actually offering something very insightful to you. And it really takes 10 or 15 minutes to share that in a call. And then you can have a natural segue into some of the other stuff, you know, around the insurance and like all that other stuff that they're doing, because that's a part of the package. Right. So that's a really good example of what you could do. And then if I've been paying attention to you as a new friend and kind of resource for me, one of the tricks is so I cultivate kind of that content. I know what I want to communicate. I research for whom that would be appropriate, 
but I don't put it all in a PDF case study and just send it to somebody and attach a lot of things to that first outreach. What I've picked up from you is it's almost like asking for permission to share, but yeah. kind of is tease a little bit, kind of what's the process there for offering and then engaging if you start with email, for example. Yeah. So this is actually kind of a good segue into the next point. We were going to make it number three, but let's make it number two. Jennifer. Okay. We'll pop down to it. Um, so the second one is around like conversations. Ah, got it. And sorry, I may have, may have misspoken around the directions I, I shared just now around like which step, because I see the keep it simple sequencing one. My bad. Oh, um, there, we go. there we go. So like when it comes to like sequencing, what we want to do is really think about how can we repurpose a message multiple times? Mm-hmm. So a lot of the ways that people approach sequencing is, well, they don't even have a sequence. So they might send two or three emails and make one or two phone calls. And if the person doesn't pick up, they just kind of stop there. Statistically, you're missing out on like two thirds of the people that could reply to your stuff by not reaching out to them enough. So this keep it simple sequencing kiss, you know, for short, is a really easy weekly framework that you can follow. And I'll talk to you about how this kind of will answer your question here around the messaging too. So it's a combination of two things. So like on a Tuesday, what you're gonna do is what's called a triple touch. So I'm going to call, leave a voicemail if they don't pick up. I'm gonna email, and then I'm going to either visit their LinkedIn profile or send a connection request. That first email is gonna have the main topic of that week. So if it's around sharing the stuff with the VP of HR that we talked about, Mm -hmm. what I might end the email with, the call to action might be, hey, is it okay if I send the resources over to you? Or, hey, would you be interested in hopping on a call and I can share some of these insights with you? So if you make it like permission-based where it could start a conversation, it's geared around getting a response and an opt-in from the person. So you do that on day one of your sequence. So let's say that's like a Tuesday. And And success is just that engagement. That is enough for kind of that step one is yes. And possibly even if they said, well, not now, but later, that's still a win because I've had some connection. Yeah. If you get an objection, you can handle the objection, right? right? So it's geared around like getting, like, how do we get a response from this person? So day three of the sequence, so you're going to wait two business days, and then you're going to just call an email. So you're going to reply all to that first email. You're going to reply to it in the same thread, and you're just going to put any thoughts in there. Any thoughts, Jason? That's it. So you don't need to like rewrite an entirely long email. Just reply to that first one. Okay. And then you're going to call. Same sort of thing. So when you call, it's the purpose of that call is to see if you can get them on a call to share some of those trends with them, right? You're not going to even do that on the cold call. So the whole approach is around like, how do I offer something like valuable to this person? If they ask me what we do and about our stuff, that's really good if they ask us, right? So that's like week one, week two, and week three, you follow the same exact format. Five touches per week, two phone calls, two emails, one LinkedIn touch. Week two, you could attack from a different angle. So maybe instead of sharing trends, it's problems that you're seeing with the way that people are currently, if it's VPs of HR, problems that where people are overpaying, you know, for their insurance or where there are gaps in coverage or risks that they might not know about. Or you could take a different angle instead of the recruiting angle. It's the retention angle, right? There's all kinds of different stuff that you can do there. So one of the things as I've done more email marketing and studying it a little bit, just myself personally, I've gained some more knowledge that I don't know that everybody in most insurance firms knows, which is about open rates. 
And something I caught in your weekly email this week, um, which I thought was really helpful, was this idea that the prospect may not even read it. So sometimes we're telling ourselves that by them not replying, that means they don't want to have a conversation. Do you, do you have a few comments in terms of just email overwhelm and you know people's fear about maybe jumping to incorrect conclusions or a fear of emailing too much? Yeah, I mean, it's a totally legitimate fear because you're reaching out to a VP of HR, let's say at a large company, and they might have like a lot of tenure or or maybe it's a C-level you know, type person. So the last thing you want to do is bother that person to the point that you repel them. <laughs> so I get where you're coming from there. What I think that you got to do, though, is really put yourself in the prospect's shoes and have some empathy. So this is kind of, you think design thinking is the philosophy okay. here. So design thinking, for those of you that don't know, is the process that like Apple, this computer right here, Apple will go through when they engineer these products, they go through a process called design thinking. And step number one is empathy. They put themselves into the shoes of the people that will be using the product and they build it around those people. So your prospecting process do the same. So think about what is it like as a prospect to receive cold outreach from salespeople? What's it like to get emails, phone calls, et cetera? And what you'll find is that most people you're reaching out to get so many emails, it's hard for them to connect the email you sent with the phone call that you made with the LinkedIn message. So the reason why we do all of those activities at once, you know, phone, email, LinkedIn, is we want them to see that all of this stuff is for me. Uh, and the reason why we want to have the numbers element of it is it's no different than marketing. And marketing, it's rule of seven. Well, it was 10 years ago. It's probably more like rule of 10 or 12. But think about companies like Nike, Amazon, where you see ads. And maybe it's a retargeting ad for something that you looked at that you want to buy. You still got to see it half a dozen to a dozen times in order to purchase and make a and pull the trigger. So most of our brands that we're selling for are not as popular and well-recognized as Nike or Amazon. So if they have to advertise that many times and make that many impressions, like you're essentially doing a hyper-personalized marketing campaign to that one person when you're prospecting. So you got to think about it like that. If You're not going to say the same thing to that person every time. If you have something valuable to share, something to teach, and you're leading with that, most people are not going to be irritated that you're reaching out to them. But if you, to go back to that point. For, if you just ask for stuff the entire time and ask for meetings, yeah, that's going to be really irritating. If all you do is say, hey, I'd love to meet with you. Hey, do you have time next week? And like every outreach is like that. Yeah, it's going to get really annoying. But you have something valuable to share. That's right. And, you know, one of the things we've laughed about, and I would thank anybody watching this who's in the insurance brokerage world, your prospects, no matter how much you are aligned and can solve big problems for them. I don't know a a lot, but I know nobody woke up this morning thinking, I have nothing else to do. I would like to change my insurance broker. You know, like it's just not happening. And so when you are empathetic, but you also understand that there are many companies who are underserved. They aren't with the partner who can really get them where they need to go and to solve their problems. And you can show up. And, you know, my jam is about creating contrast and standing out. Once you start that conversation, I think that begins with those of you who can adopt some of Jason's principles, be different in the land of a million brokers, just pinging compliance updates and PDF attachments. I think even in your approach, it can be refreshing if you can have some discipline to follow this kind of process. Yeah. You know, this is a really good theme here along this, 
you know, design thinking, it's look at every interaction that you have with a prospect and try to compare that to what it might normally be like. So when they get cold emails from brokers, what do those normally look like? You could ask your clients, hey, do you mind forwarding over a couple cold emails you've gotten from other brokers or voicemails or anything? And you can hear what people do. I actually did this with, <laughs> so when I, I met my wife on Tinder in 2000, <laughs> oh, so now I was online dating <laughs> was I had a dummy account and it was what I wanted. And it was one of my friend's accounts she let me use. I would actually go through and look at how other guys would reach out to her and like what they would say. And most people, when they match, they say, hey, what's up? That's the opening line. So if you just do something differently than that, instead of, hey, what's up? Hey, I saw on your profile that you enjoy doing this. Have you gotten to go hiking lately? Have you played golf or whatever? It's really actually pretty easy to differentiate yourself. Creativity, in my mind, is more about doing stuff that's obvious. So like if we look at the iPhone, to me, creativity is them thinking, hey, we should actually make a touchscreen back when the first iPhone came out. It's so obvious, right? That there would be a touchscreen. You see it in all these movies. It's a little futuristic. It's so obvious that you should be able to touch the screen. To me, that's a perfect example of creativity though, because they took the really obvious thing that you would want and they made it a reality. So think about what is the obvious thing that you could do that's different than your competition. Instead of like leading with all this junk and like asking people for stuff, what if you tried to give them something? in the first interaction. It doesn't really require that much creativity as much as you would think. Just look at what they're doing and what your clients experience, what they're on the receiving of, and just try to do something very the opposite of that. Well, and I think it's sad, but true. I mean, you can count on in our business, the mediocrity of most of your competitors and yep. most aren't that creative and most will give up after one or two interactions. Is there a... Um, J-Bay's secret number of how many times one would reach out before you take a pause and then re-engage or just accept that at this point in time, this is not going to happen? 12 to 15. So if you do that, keep it simple sequencing, that kiss pattern, mm -hmm. it's five touches per week. So if you took out the LinkedIn, it'd be four. Here, let me see. Get that on the screen there. Yeah, mm -hmm. four. And uh, you would just follow that each week. So one primary message, week one, something different, week two, something different, week three, and then it's okay to give up. And that would be a priority prospect. So that would be like, if the number one person you want to meet at with a company is a VP of HR, yes. that would be like a priority. You would spend that much effort. For someone that's maybe like an HR manager that could give you an intro up, maybe you don't do any calling to those people. You just do emails. I call it don't treat prospects equally. You only have so much time in the day. Think about when you go to like a nightclub and there's like people that get to cut in front of line because they pay extra to have like yeah. VIP access or they're famous or whatever. Like life's unfair, right? There's not <laughs> enough time for everyone to be treated equally. So it's okay to not treat your prospects equally in terms of how much effort you put in. Of course, if you get a manager on the phone, you're not going to be an a-hole to them. You know what I mean? Like you're still going to be a human being and be kind and all that other stuff. But don't spend as much effort going after that person as you do their VP. Because the VP is going to be the one that probably gets this thing moving forward quicker. Got it. So maybe those are the, the levers somebody pulls in terms of the effort on a particular prospect that they're going after, but they shouldn't sacrifice on effort in terms of research up front for those top people that they want to yep. connect with. Exactly. They need to be putting that time in and not just painting a really generic outreach and seeing what snaps yeah. back. Well, and then 
the research part, I think people tend to kind of overcomplicate a little bit too. I know we're kind of dancing all over the place. I hope that's okay. <laughs> that's fine with me. So with the research part of it, we talked about this earlier, like priority, problem, and then the next piece of this would be like the value. Like what, how can you help in that area, make that problem go away? So with the priorities and the problems, what you're doing is you're searching for things that are related to their priorities. So if a VP of HR's priorities is around recruiting and hiring, what evidence can I find on their website or this person's profile that talks about anything related to the people that they hire or the people they retain? Right. Hint, there's a lot of it on websites for VPs of HR. There's so much companies talk about related to their culture. Just pick one thing. Hey, I noticed that you do these uh, weekly game nights. You know, this is maybe pre-COVID. These weekly game nights for your team or monthly get-togethers or whatever as part of your perks package. Thought that was really cool how much you care about retaining your employees. And that's why I was reaching out. We've sourced some best practices from eight of our clients around how they're retaining employees right now through COVID and the digital working environment. Can I share some of those insights with you? Yeah, I think that's, that's it's such a great reminder. I think sometimes people get hung up on thinking that research has to be super heavy or about their financials or reading their quarterly reports or things like that. And you really can, whether it's Glassdoor or their own press releases or their own company page on LinkedIn. I mean, again, most of your competitors aren't doing any of that. So just dropping a few of those hints that you're at least willing to engage a little bit. I mean, I think that's where it goes back to, um, and I think I'd gotten these out of order a little bit, but that's that part of the conversation. If you were walking up or introduced to somebody at a luncheon or an event and you were just having a dialogue, that's what would happen naturally. Oh, hey, I saw that in the paper or I heard that or I know somebody who works at the company just to get a conversation started. Yeah, think about if we use that analogy, this in-person kind of thing, when someone approaches you at a networking event, or if you're out and you're single and someone approaches you at a restaurant or a bar and you can tell that they want something from you, it's like the biggest turnoff. Right. You know, especially when you're networking and people come up and you can tell they're trying to get a meeting with you or do something. It's just really weird. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so if you make the intention about starting a conversation, how do I get a reply to the email? Mm -hmm. Instead of asking for the meeting in the email, what if I just ask if it makes sense to me? Or what if I ask if I can share something? Or what if in the cold call, I ask them, hey, do you got a minute? I could tell you why I'm calling. And then you could let me know if you want to keep chatting. It's like it's engineered around getting a conversation started. And if you approach it in buckets where it's like, hey, I need to start a conversation before I can get a conversion, a meeting. Okay. Right? And I need to do a meeting before I can close a deal. You know, so it's like all of those things need to happen. Just focus on that next thing. Don't think about closing the sale when you're prospecting. Prospecting and selling are two very different skill sets. And they're very different stages of the sales process. So I think like three ideas right away as you were talking. I mean, one, I think I'm weaving in there as politely as you did, making it okay in advance. But hey, we're going to talk and then we'll decide whether or not it makes sense to talk further. Yep. You know, you're not going to be you know, just taking a follow-up conversation with me or replying to this note does not mean you have to do a thorough analysis or meet with my entire team, right? So I think building in those touch points, even though as salespeople, we don't want to get the answer that it's over, but it's better to just get that clarity up front. And then the other is that if you're sending something out, just ask yourself if any one of your competitors could send the exact same note. And if they can, then you probably need to keep working 
on creating that little bit of different contrast. If it's kind of fill in the blank, okay, go to that Zoom webinar instead of that different webinar or something very generic. Yeah. Probably doesn't help. Well, Um, one last thing, just to comment on what you said around the no thing. It's like, what would you rather have? Would you rather reach out to 10 people and get two yeses for a meeting and then the other eight you don't hear back from? Or would you rather get two yeses and then eight no's? I'd rather get the eight no's along with the yeses. Even though it might hurt to hear it a little bit more and you got to go through the rejection, I know I don't need to waste any more time going after those people. At least I got an answer. So if you don't have a process that starts conversations, you're going to be constantly reaching out to these people and just not, because with email, you don't get anything back. With phone, they just don't pick up. (laughs) You know, so that's kind of the hard thing because you're not in front of the person. You don't know what they're doing. But I'd rather get an answer from someone. I can work with an answer. I can't really work with no response. Do you have an opinion, Jason? We've talked about email and cold call researching on LinkedIn, but as far as sending a message via LinkedIn in, in lieu of an email or, yeah. or the audio function via LinkedIn? Yeah, I'm a fan of all that stuff. I think that, again, people kind of get stuck on the shiny objects. Like if you should have a prospecting strategy built around the email and phone. And then you can layer in LinkedIn on top of that. And you know what? If you find that people are much more responsive on LinkedIn, maybe you double down on that. Okay, great. Like you really can't go wrong with email and phone. So LinkedIn, I would keep it pretty simple. If the person does chat with you and they're doing it, just run with it. You know, then you can do your audio messages or your videos or whatever. But if you don't have a solid foundation of really good messaging in your email and phone, I, I just, I wouldn't even worry about audio and video and all that stuff until you get like really good. Like if we're using personal fitness as an analogy, before you start doing like uh, CrossFit, you should probably know how to do a bench press and a squat first, you know, and like really get the fundamentals down first. The fundamentals and probably an opportunity for anyone watching this to go back and look at their outreach over the last 60, 90 days mm-hmm. and maybe kind of start over a sequence with some people if maybe it wasn't their best work looking at it through this lens might be might be an opportunity there as well. One thing that you mentioned that I also wanted to just underscore for this group of insurance brokers is this difference between prospecting and sales. So I think in most agencies, consulting firms, however they identify, there's sales and service. There may or may not be a marketing or kind of sales op support Mm-hmm. But it is worthwhile, I would suggest, for any sales manager, sales leader, practice leader to be thinking about how people are filling that top of the funnel. And one of the reasons I wanted to kind of get people to know you, Jason, was to understand that it is a unique and distinct skill set to prospect. So yeah. could you riff a little bit more on that, on kind of that handoff of that opening to then transitioning through the actual sales process and that difference? Yeah, prospect. I'm glad you brought this up because people treat them very much the same. So a lot of times people approach prospecting like it's selling and they try to sell their stuff, right? They talk about their stuff a lot. So if you talk about your stuff, your services, the products that you have, when you're prospecting, it's quite repelling <laughs> to, to most prospects. So it's more about like, how do I start a conversation, engage interest? And prospecting is... It's more of a marketing activity than it is a sales activity. It happens to be a marketing activity that a salesperson does, right? Appointment setting. And I know that's like, we don't like to think in sales as like, oh, we prospect, like I'm above that. Like I don't need to prospect anymore. But the most elite salespeople 
that I've come across in companies than I do prospecting still. And I've worked with some big companies and I've worked with some small companies, 150 reps and like two reps. The pattern that I see in the top performers is they carve out an hour every day to prospect. And if you're not proactively doing this outbound, you're missing out on the stuff that's not going to come to you organically through a referral or through repeat business or through networking. You're missing out on those really large accounts that don't maybe don't even know who you are, what your company is, none of that kind of stuff. That's what you're missing out on by not doing the outbound. Well, and I think sometimes in our industry where there is still some element of the networking and some return to that, I suspect, over the balance of this year, there's usually a handoff to some other stakeholder within that organization. And sometimes I think the ball gets dropped there. So I know Joe or Jane from XYZ Association. They want to introduce me to Karen, who's the risk manager or whatever her role is over here. And sometimes we, it's almost like we think it's like an arranged marriage to go back to your, you know, the dating uh, scenarios where, oh, just because I went to this thing and they say they know a person and they're going to introduce me, we misread the situation as if it's farther along in the process. And my, my sense would be, but I'd love you to, to riff on this, is that just because you know who that person is, you may need to start with some of these principles and not skip it because you have to still get that conversation going with that person, Yeah, even though you were referred in. Yeah. A lot of times referrals are my toughest sell because most people are not good at referring other people. So they don't get a double opt-in. They don't reach out to you, Jen, and say, hey, would you like an intro to Jason? I think you should chat because of X, Y, Z. It's more like, hey, Jen, I think you should talk to Jason. He's really good at this prospecting stuff. And you have no context into like what that means. So I have to kind of pitch myself a little bit and talk about the problems that we solve. It's the same approach. It's just a warmer connection. I'm still going to lead with, hey, I know as a VP of HR, you're probably focused on either recruiting or retention or both right now. I'd be happy to share some trends we're seeing in both of these areas that our clients are doing really well. I still need to do that. I still need to multi-thread. So I still need to know that, hey, if I didn't get an intro to the VP of HR, maybe it was an HR manager that could help me get my foot in the door, I should still be able to research that company and say, hey, these two or three people are the ones that I need to talk to and be able to ask for those intros and give a compelling reason why they should introduce you. So you still need to do all of those things. With referrals, I mean, I think they're almost as much work. There's just less rejection, you know, with it. I think that's so on point and it's not something most people want to believe, but if they really look back at the referrals to nowhere, you know, over the last year, they'll admit, you know, they'll admit it's true. And sometimes if we push so hard and we think we don't have to create that conversation, oh, we might get one meeting with Karen, but it will be one meeting yeah, and somebody can find some other reason for why there won't be a second one and then we just wasted our time. Yeah. And I'm not saying that outbound is the only way to go, by the way. I think referrals are great. It's about having a mix. So if you think of it like marketing, you want a marketing mix. You want multiple sources of leads. Outbound just tends to be this really neglected marketing source that people don't invest a lot of time into because it's hard. It's It's like moving yourself to work out every day. It's not easy. It's hard. And in most agencies, brokerage firms, where so much has been trained over the years in the apprenticeship model. So I've watched someone else do it. They built their book of business doing these certain things. This never had to be as important as it is in other organizations in terms of their growth strategy. And so 
it's just missing. And so we have to kind of build that in. One of the other things I've heard you say as we're wrapping up here is that this prospecting approach can really be the front end to any sales strategy or CRM or process that any firm of any size already has in place, correct? Yeah, and most firms that I'm seeing, they are producing webinar content and white papers and all kinds of cool stuff. It's just that how do we distill that 40-page white paper down into three or four bullet points that I can then regurgitate in five or 10 minutes on a sales call? Like that's kind of the piece that's missing. Right. It's not, hey, can I send the 40-page white paper to you? Yeah, nobody wants that. There's two things in here I think that are going to be really important to you because I know that you're probably focused on either recruiting or retaining talent right now. You know, can I share them with you and give you kind of an in-depth run-through of what we're seeing our clients do in these areas? One tip is I've personally just thought more about batching. So if I recorded something and then how do I get it to different people in different formats that resonates with them? For many of you who are producing so much great content and record it, you tend to front load about invites and telling people ahead of time. You may be reaching out to people who RSVP'd but didn't attend. And I think there's a miss and to marry some of the tips Jason shared with us today is to A, you know, you should probably actually watch it yourself if you're in sales and then pick up the three points. And then maybe I'm reaching out, hey, Jason, my clients that, you know, are like you, what I heard from them is that these three points of the webinar that were most important, yep. the 12 minute mark, the 18 minute mark, even curating mm-hmm. a piece might be a way to get that conversation. Yeah. I think about, I love your point. Think about what you would do for your boss. You would not send your boss an hour-long webinar if there was two or three points in there you needed them to be bought in in order for you to get what you wanted, you know, for your job or or initiative or whatever. You wouldn't just send a 60-minute webinar to your boss and say, hey, check this out. So, like, don't give that same lack of attention to, like, your prospects that you wouldn't to your boss, you know? Like, that you've really got to think these are really busy people. These are executives. They're as busy as your boss is, and you need to treat them with that same level of, like, care and respect. And empathy, which is one of the things you opened with. So if my ideal buyer is stretched too thin and teaching kids at school and living life in this crazy world, do they really want to attend live your webinar with your compliance officer? Or have you actually done them a higher service by watching it for them and based on your expertise, synthesizing it down to two or three bullet points? So my point earlier about how do you stand out from your competition right there? Because to me, that's a tell for how I'm going to be working to work with going forward. It's business acumen. It's just understanding that an executive has a lot more important things to do than to sit and watch an hour long webinar. Right. I wanted to close with maybe just this myth that cold calling doesn't work if you're in a relationship business like insurance, that it's all based on these mystical, mythical unicorn COI referrals. And as we're closing, just any final thoughts around where you see your work and your process actually getting people the results they want, irrespective of the industries they're in? Yeah, I think with cold calling, it's what's your definition of it? So yeah, if cold calling is, I just look for a bunch of random companies that we could sell to and I get the phone numbers of the VPs of HR and I just call them. 
like, yeah, that style of cold calling is dead, but that died a long time ago, right? It hasn't been effective for a really long time. So this approach is, yeah, it's still cold in the sense the person's not expecting it, but it's like, I've done my research. I've done my research enough to know about what you care about, how we can help, certain triggers and stuff that I might find that make this conversation relevant. And I'm making it about you. I want to offer some value and teach you something. Like that offer right there is so much easier to say yes to than you just calling and asking for a meeting. So that style of cold calling, yeah, definitely dead. That's not going to work for you. It doesn't work in any industry. So software, professional services, like the prospect and the sales component is very different for those. But the prospecting, this is why I focus on prospecting, is it's, it's really the same. You're trying to get the person to take a meeting with you so you can share something valuable with them. The way that you reach out to them is very, very similar across multiple different industries. When you get into the sales process and the stuff you kind of work with, that's where it can get very different, you know, in terms of how you sell insurance versus how you sell software. But the prospecting motion is almost exactly the same. And I think in that sales process where I do think the insurance world um, and there are a lot of sales consultants out there and it's all about, you know, listening in this strategy and kind of showing up with the blank piece of paper and asking a lot of questions. I think what's really changed is that there can still be an element of that once you get that meeting, but you have to get that meeting and you have to get enough of them in a competitive environment to close the number of new clients that you need to hit your growth targets. And so it's all about getting those conversations going using some of your principles Yep. To get to those meetings. <laughs> Ultimately. All right. Well, I popped this up here. I would encourage anyone who is catching this replay to connect with Jason, just as I did while I was in quarantine in my dining room, started following him. He puts out a tremendous amount of tips and hints, both by going to his website here, getting on his daily email. Even if you think you're an email overwhelm, he really it passes my test that it makes it into something that I'm always reading. And um, he puts out great video content. And of course, he could work with any sales managers or practice leaders to help you really customize this piece that most agencies are looking to kind of supercharge to hit our numbers this year. So Jason, thanks for being my new quarantine friend and jumping into this industry and having some fun today. I really appreciate it. No, absolutely. And blissfulprospecting.com, that's where you can find all of our stuff. So there's a ton of free stuff. We got a podcast on there, daily emails, like you said. I post stuff on LinkedIn every day. Uh, we have programs as well. It's, in my opinion, the best stuff that you're going to find in terms of practicality and like tactical nature that you're right. going to find prospecting. It's not just theory and like, oh, you should call and like you should do this stuff. You should teach them something. Well, there's a lot of actual how to implement that. What does that look like in the email? What does that sound like in the cold call? All of that stuff. So if you're looking for the free stuff, it's there. If you're looking for help as an individual or your company, we got some of the best stuff you're going to find there too. Yeah, I totally agree. It spoke to my very practical, candid nature. So I appreciate that, uh, Jason. And I hope everybody has a great day. Thanks so much. See ya. Bye. That was a fun one. I really enjoyed connecting with Jen. So appreciate you tuning in. Before you take off, if you're not already subscribed to the podcast, make sure you do that on your favorite podcast player so that you can continue getting these episodes. And I would love a short, honest review from you as well. It really helps get the show in front of more people exactly like you so that we can help as many folks as possible. All right. Thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you later.